0: Hello everyone, my name is Fahed Rahman and this is See Through Panel, a podcast where we review graphic novels and talk to the people that make them. Today I've got a special guest co-host, it's John Swatchert. He is an artist and illustrator working in both traditional and digital media with a passion for storytelling. His work has been used in video games, magazines, public artworks, but most often he creates comic books and graphic novels. He's currently based in the southeast of England, taking freelance, freelance commissions while uh, teaching 2D art at, to game design students at Canterbury Christchurch University and conducting youth outreach work for the Kent and Medway Collaborative Outreach Program. How are you doing, John?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: It's really good to have you on again to talk about a graphic Novel. Before we get into the the book that we're going to be talking about, are there any other comic books that you've been reading recently that you'd uh, like the folks to to know about?
1: Oh yeah, what did I just pick up recently? uh came out a few years ago. It was uh, one of Mobius's last comics. He did it with Jodorowsky.
0: It wasn't the Inkle, was it?
1: Yes, it It was the yeah 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 yeah.
0: That is fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, that was
1: I really enjoyed that. I gotta I gotta get the the next editions.
0: It's surprising how many other people have just completely wholesale nicked ideas and aesthetics <laughs> from that comic book is just like unbelievable. Reading. But I guess that's what happens when
1: you're just a groundbreaking artist. I mean, you set what is the new visual language, you set the new trends, you set the, yeah, the visual ideas and things that, that people reference from that yeah. on.
0: Yeah, and talking about groundbreaking artists and writer, let's uh, get into the graphic novel that we're going to be talking about today. It is Destroy All Monsters, a reckless book. It is by Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips and Jacob Phillips. The blurb reads as follows. It's 1988 and... Ethan has been hired for a stranger's case yet, finding the secrets of a Los Angeles real estate mogul. How hard could that be, right? Only I mean, what starts as a deep dive into the life of a stranger will soon take a deadly turn. And Ethan finds himself risking everything for those who mattered him. This is a uh, an Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips book. Mm-hmm. They They've written some of my favorite comics of the past few years. I don't know how you feel kind of generally about that team.
1: Um th- this is my first time reading something by them. So who's who's the artist um and who's the writer?
0: So Ed Brubaker is the author. He's most famous for writing graphic noir okay. comic books and Sean Phillips is his frequent collaborator. I think they're the more famous for working on criminal that's their other big.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Red Criminal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So they're, they're most, they're, that's the kind of what they're most famous for. And Ed Brubacker is also really well known for writing some of the mo- most important Captain America comics of kind of, the, kind of like recent times as well. So they're a really well established kind of film noir, well, comic book noir team.
1: Okay. And I wanted to ask to Sean Phillips did he do all the art or was there separate colorists, separate inkers? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's that's an excellent question. So Sean Phillips, from what I can tell, he did the penciling and inking, and his brother Jacob did the coloring. Okay. Yeah, okay. so that's how they that's how they split the artistic duties. I'm not too sure who did the penciling. I don't think that's mentioned. I couldn't find where if, if there was a separate person that did that. So I'm assuming either Ed, Sean, or Jacob did the the coloring on that one. Okay. All right. Okay, so let's let's just kind of start with your basic impressions and and thoughts. I, I,
1: I really enjoyed the book. It's it's really well written. The story flows really well. It's it's believable at the same time being exciting. I mean, yeah, it's it's overall just a really good book. I would I would recommend picking this one
0: up. Yeah, I, mean, I kind of chose this to talk to you about because you like crime. Comic books. So I, I thought this. I thought this would yeah. be kind of like straight down, straight down your alley. This is, I think, maybe the third or second book in like the Reckless series. So it's the Reckless series follows the adventures or misadventures of of Ethan Reckless. He's a private investigator in Los Angeles. It's kind of a period piece. Most of the mm. action taking place in kind of the 1970s and and 19. 80s mm-hmm. and Ethan's kind of this prototypical hard hard uh hard man private in- investigator with kind of you know his sidekick Anna who's this punk rock film film nerd yeah. as well yeah. so let's kind of talk a little bit about because you kind of mentioned the coloring I really loved the coloring on this I thought it was like fantastic so I just you know maybe you want to talk a little bit yeah, exactly. I mean the color
1: palettes are are beautiful. Like every every page is really well. I mean, for the most part, well designed. There's there's a few little like nitpicking things I, I could talk about, but the the color palettes that they're using, um, I mean, give a feel of the different scenes that you're in. Every time you're changing setting, there's a change in palette. Palettes are also reflecting the mood, and I mean they're they're just really rich and really well designed. And one thing that's that's great about the whole feel of the book too, and then the color part palettes are a big part of this. Is it just has a feel of that kind of just trashy side of LA. So I, I lived in LA for two years and I lived in some of the, some of the areas that they're drawing and it's just got that like trashy strip mall, like kind of want to be suburban, but just kind of junk feel to it. <laughs> and um, I mean, they, they just captured the, the aesthetic of it really well.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. The, the other thing that I, I felt that the, the coloring did as well, it kind of, the coloring um, handles a lot of the, the detail work I felt it kind of gives a real richness and depth to all the images on the page.
1: Yeah, yeah. Some of the mark making in here is really beautiful, not just with the the coloring, but also with the line work. It all kind of flows and works together, so it makes sense that the artist is working with his brother, and they've they've got a whole team that where they've collaborated a lot, and that's that's why it's as tight as it is. But there's there's a real sense of tool making in in the way they make the art, and I, I really like that. There's one thing that I feel like just kind of missing or kind of let down by a lot of times with um, digital comic books that are made digitally is everything's just made a bit too clean and a bit more polished and you you sort of lose that connection with the artist. So I like how they've included this sort of like roughness and this handmade quality to so much of what they did.
0: One of the questions I wanted to ask you about, well, there's two questions out of it that uh, what you just said I wanted to kind of ask you about. So do you think this was inked, uh, um, colored digitally? Because I felt that, like you don't usually get these results with digital coloring. Usually, it's uh, you only get this sort of thing with when it's colored analog. Why? Well, so you oh, think? Okay. It was, yeah. Do you think it was colored digitally?
1: I'm 99 sure it was. So I think they're using a, a really textured brush in Photoshop. Okay. And they're just letting that brush show through. So you can do. I mean, you can download brushes that have a, a certain texture to them, or you can make your own. You could like make a little ink splodge and scan it in, and then up the the contrast on it, and then capture that and use that itself as as a brush in. Um, yeah, in Photoshop, and it just gives that that sort of rawness and that roughness to it.
0: Yeah. So, um, you mentioned tool making there. So, that is that what you mean by by tool making? Actually, going in and creating your own brushes in Photoshop yeah, stuff or whatever. Like
1: that, or you know, sometimes they just let the line work be a little bit ugly, like in the um, big expansive like uh, scenes where you can see the cityscape. What I expect to see in most comic books now is people uh, making you know, using the uh, the tools of Photoshop just to make really straight, perfect lines. Uh, but they didn't so much. They they let the sort of hand-drawn qualities of their lines show. So it looked like they were doing the architectural drawings just freehand. And then you get that sort of waviness in the lines. And that's where you see the touch of the artist. And that also matched well with the story because it, in a way, it helps that that aesthetic helps communicate the roughness of the place that they are.
0: Both, Well, both the Phillipses, they've got a really good way of balancing just... Giving enough detail to the images, so it's not you know, especially with the line work. There's just enough detail to give you a sense of the story. It's th- it doesn't kind of overwhelm mm. the page. And you know his his choice of you know choosing thick lines to, to thin lines, and the use of shadow as well in the um, in the inking, I felt was really impressive. Mm. His choice of you know whether or not to show the the, char- the colours of the character's eyes, or whether the you know, the character's eyes should be bathed in shadow, how much detail we kind of see on the characters' faces as well, is he almost they almost always perfectly judge when, when to give lots of details and when when to just to leave it a little bit sparse.
1: something I really like too that they do with the backgrounds. Um, so sometimes it's just a quite plain or blank background when they want you to focus on the characters. But they what they do with that is they just put some quite uh, loose uh, brush strokes or paint marks in there, just a slight shift in tone, just so that there is something kind of behind the characters grounding them. The rest of the compound of the scene, but yeah, it's still it just sits nicely and flows. Uh,
0: you did mention there was a couple of nitpicking things. So do you, do you want to get into that a little bit? Because yeah, yeah. Bit. So so one is is actually how they're using shadow. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up.
1: There's. Some places where I think it could have been a bit better thought out and a bit better planned. So they're they're going for this crime noir aesthetic, so they're bringing a lot of shadows in there, and that helps give that sort of like dark, mysterious, edgy feel to it. So I, I get they're bring a lot of shadows in the face, but there's some points where they're they're out of place where it's not working with the rest of the light logic of the scene, and it just looks a, a little bit rough. So, for example, they'll be in a daylight scene, and they'll just have shoved some shadows on the front of, of the character's face. And actually, they could have placed them in slightly better areas. And one thing that I noticed is they're almost always, in order to get that shadow in their artwork, they're almost always using um, form shadow. So, shadow that's, that's on the form that we're looking at. So, for example, shadow on the person. Rather than using um, cast shadows. So, if, if you're in a room with strong light, you, you're you're casting shadows on other objects around you and they could have played with that a little bit more to get that darkness And i think it would have had a bit more of a
0: natural feel that's kind of one of the issues of setting a story in la which is <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what else you can say about it. it's kind of a bright sunny place so it's kind of you're know, playing around with getting that um getting that noir aesthetic with the you know the bright sunlight that you you, you get in um california Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something there, you know, like you mentioned. There is something a little bit trashy about LA as well. So it's not that bad a setting for um for for, for a noir story.
1: Sure. I mean, some of the greatest noir stories have been set in in LA, like Chinatown.
0: That's yeah, exactly. A kind of classic. There was
1: something else. Um, I've noticed this a bit with with Image Comics. I'm, I'm guessing Image has like um a a set letter lettering team or team that goes over the final pass of the comic that they they always use because I always see. Um, these sort of stylistic choices in, in every comic that they do. But there's always like a real contrast um, between the the whites that they put in their, their word bubbles and some of their titles and their backgrounds. And it doesn't always match up with the rest of the artwork. Um, oh,
0: that's interesting. I hadn't noticed that.
1: So, I mean, they do really cool stuff with their, their panel layout that I really enjoy. Um, like, sometimes they butt their, their word bubbles right up to the edge of the panel, and they don't put a border on the panel, so the, the um, dead color in between the panels then bleeds into the word bubble. And I, I think those are really cool design elements. But um, in a lot of these panels, and this shows really clearly in this crime Noir comic, is um, you, you've got this, like, dark, beautiful color palette going on, you've got these shadows moving across... But then you just got this stark white background, and it seems to me they've kind of missed an opportunity. They could go with something instead of that stark white in their word bubbles and the space between the panels uh, in the gutters. They could go with something just like a little bit off white that just mm, doesn't yeah. doesn't create that jarringness that really pulls you away. Yeah, from from the the kind of narrative in the visual world that they've built.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's a that's a good point actually yeah kind of playing around playing around with the colors of of um speech bubbles word word bubbles it it can create some really interesting effects on the readers kind of one of our you know mine and cole's favorite comics last year was titan by francois vigno and he played around with the color of his word bubbles a Mm. lot so he did something where he would accent certain bits of text in the speech bubble would be in a in a different color and mm-hmm. that's something they could have maybe pl- played around here as well. Kind of, spe- I'm especially kind of thinking about the bits where, you know, someone's been hit in the head or they've been drugged or mm-hmm. something. If you just play around with the, the color of the word bubble bear, just to kind of add to the fact that they're not, they're not completely in control of their faculties mm-hmm. it would have been a nice choice. So let's, let's talk a little bit of, about the, about the, the plot. So I think for me, the kind of the main themes that run through the book nails it on the head kind of in the in the opening line when he when Ethan mentions you know 1988 is the the, the year that I started feeling old and there's this mm-hmm. theme of him starting to feel his age you know the injuries c- catching up with him and the fact that the the world is changing and moving on and perhaps he's not really comfortable with that and he's got this father daughter relationship with uh, Anna And Anna's starting to grow up and meeting new people and maybe deciding she wants to follow a different path that will maybe lead her away from from Ethan. So it's those themes of getting old, children moving away, even though technically Anna and Ethan aren't father father daughter they've got there's still that very much kind of father daughter dynamic between them and mm-hmm. you know your, your 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 children moving away and maybe losing a step as you get older as well so i don't know if you if you picked up on those themes as well
1: yeah definitely i mean they they add a sort of richness and a background to the characters as this whole narrative is unfolding yeah it just it just gives a really nice depth to it but there's also the awkwardness of of her being um a young woman and him not being her dad and there's almost like a, a subcontext, like, "Ooh, am I doing this out of a parental thing, or is there sort of a, an attraction or a jealousy?" Or
0: yeah, yeah, I think especially with with some of the the way he treats some of you know her significant others, there is I I, I couldn't quite tell if that was like an attraction thing. I don't think it was. I just think he's got a very low tolerance for idiots Mm. (laughs) but this Dimitri character who's Anna's latest boyfriend doesn't seem like a great catch yeah (laughs) so yeah Yeah.
1: well also um I I don't want to give away any spoilers to anyone listening who hasn't read this yet but there's with the boyfriends there's um a a few red herrings that are thrown out there too about where the narrative goes there's there's a few little details that were given about boyfriends I'm like ooh, does that
0: tie into the plot somehow some things do, some things don't. It's good that you mentioned that because one of the things that uh, Ed Brubac is really good at doing is like keeping you guessing mm-hmm. as as what's gonna what's gonna happen next and where the plot is going to go. If you've read other Reckless books, he does kind of hit he does kind of hit a few beats that have been in previous not uh, previous Reckless books. So I'm um, I'm especially thinking about the the sex orgies. That's something that's been in a few Reckless. But right. if you if you're writing uh, a noir set in la i don't think you can really avoid kind of sex orgies unfortunately oh, you know if, you, if you're
1: ever drawing a blank you know you, you don't you hit writer's block
0: you don't know what to do just throw sex
1: orgies yeah <laughs> yes. get the plot moving. <laughs>
0: yeah so there's um sex orgies there's uh blackmail there's corrupt cops and politicians mm-hmm. uh i think w- one of the interesting things that was new to this particular book were the kind of the, the themes of racism and how yeah. that's kind of hit the development of not just la but kind of like american cities in in general so the i think the, the plot is basically it basically kicks off when uh ethan takes on a job from a local politician by the name of and i did write his name down isaac presley and basically presley wants uh, Ethan's help in destroying the reputation of a man that betrayed his father and it's kind of a complicated real estate deal that the details don't matter that much. All he knows is that there's this white man that's basically betrayed the black community and yep. Isaac Presley's a, a, a black African-American uh, community leader and he he basically wants revenge I've, I felt that those themes were quite kind of quite well established I think the geography of LA plays quite a big part in in the story generally how did you I mean you, you mentioned you lived out there for a mm-hmm. few years kind of what's what is the geography like out there is it kind of still kind of quite racially segregated or what, what does it work how does um it work out like in not
1: not so much. I mean, not compared to to where I grew up. I grew up in Milwaukee, which is the the most segregated city in the states. I mean, compared to I think some UK cities. Oh, apologies if you hear the, the wrong <laughs> part in the background. He's saying hello. He's got his opinions too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he does. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I guess like compared to, to cities like you know London and yeah, where I live now. Um, yeah, it's definitely definitely segregated, but compared to some other U.S. cities, it's not as bad. But like, one one thing I, I liked about it is as I looked into corruption, it, it also picked up on like the sort of small time sleaze that exists in it, and sort of just the patheticness of it as well, and just yeah, just the sort of low life scumminess of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely something that's true. It's kind of how you know local politicians are important; they do make really like key decisions that affect a lot of people's lives and just the sleaze of some of these some of the politicians that are kind of we come across here. I think there's there's one particular character that they manage to, you know, not giving too giving away too many spoilers, but there's one character that um Ethan manages to blackmail in order to to get some information. And he's just this kind of a sad, sack looking guy that's just, you know, abused his his position of authority. Mm-hmm. And I just felt oh, I wish something really bad yeah. happened to him. To my- uh, I wanted to ask you how you
1: how you felt about the setting because um you you read out the blurb um at the start of the podcast, but the uh, the PDF that I got um uh, didn't have any blurb, so I, I just started reading the story, yeah. and um I had to progress. I had to realize as the story progressed that it was set in LA. And you know, I figured it out by the way things were drawn and there's mentions there's a lot of mentioning of freeways which yes. might might sound weird if if you've never lived in LA but they're very important in LA right So how I mean how did you feel about getting yeah this this sort of very detailed information about a place that might not the, the importance of which might not be be recognized from people Yeah who don't. so I
0: think that, that the stuff about uh, freeways in in LA I didn't really fully understand mm. what 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 the importance of that was. I know there's kind of one big panel, well a few pages where Anna might be deciding to move away and Ethan's going through like what the consequences of what that will mean basically mm-hmm. if she moves on the other side of this uh freeway, basically they're never gonna see each other again because it's like you no know, like a four hour drive each yeah. way. I do know like just through popular culture, like I know traffic in LA is quite bad. It's really yeah. difficult yeah. to get anywhere kind of if you <laughs> if you wanna get to a journey that's like maybe two miles away, it's going to take you an hour depending on what route you take. I, I Because I've read previous Reckless books, I did know that it was set in LA and so it wasn't too much of a surprise for me that way. But okay. it's, it's one of those curious things where like the city plays a really important part as a character because, mm. you know, that stuff, of, you know, about Anna moving across the freeway, that wouldn't really, that matters because of the geography of the place.
1: So uh, let me ask you, you you get this sometimes in in stories it's almost like the the setting is a character. Yeah. Did you feel like that was the case in this comic?
0: Yes, I did and I I I I say that for a a couple of reasons. Uh one is the the fact that Ethan's home base is a theater mm-hmm. and you really get you know, that it's it's a bit of an odd place as a as a home base for a private investigators kind of it's a little out of everything this book isn't too quirky but that is quite a quirky choice mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. for 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 um for, for briebacker to to take the the other thing is there's like a corrupt uh, police officer in in this and the style of corruptness i felt was a very la style okay so i think there's like an la vibe that runs through all the characters and Mm. you know you can see definitely get sense of how the place has influenced the way that people behave
1: yeah there was I, i was wondering too like as they were writing it are are the writers and the artists and the editors and the whole team of people involved are they so west coast based and so involved in la that they don't know how to talk about la to people who aren't from there or, or have never been there. Like it, it almost seemed to me like this comic was meant to be sold to people who lived in LA.
0: <laughs> okay. You yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah, Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I understand that actually. Yeah. I have no idea where Ed Brubacher and uh, the Phillipses are based. I kind of always assume because of their work on criminal, that it'd be more East coast than West coast. Oh, okay. Cause like criminal, oh correct me if I'm wrong, you you be know better than my uh, than I do. I always got the f uh, the, the impression that like criminal was always set in like the kind of east east coast cities kind of or you know at the at the, at the very most kind of like you know the, the Midwest now places like Chicago and that sort Yeah, of thing. it had yeah. an
1: industrial vibe to it. I can't yeah. uh, I'd have to open it up and have a look at it again.
0: Yeah, exactly kind of you're mentioning the the industrial vibe which you know just going back to the coloring in this there is kind of a, a washed out color yeah you know, especially in the daytime scenes there's this kind of washed out coloring that you kind of you, gives you impression that it's kind of based somewhere so i'm looking just yeah. at this you know the first case that they've taken on uh, no case too small is the the it's mm-hmm. about the, the, the people that are finding uh, uh some turds in their mailbox yeah. and just kind of the, the washed out kind of like greens that they're using in the story there i think are really kind of really does do do give you a sense that this is like in a sunny place kind of the west coast or maybe further south in the in the united states yeah as well so uh who who was your um just getting back to the, the characters who were your kind of favorite characters in in the book
1: oh um yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the only ones we, we really get to explore in depth, I guess, were the, were the two main characters. The rest of them are all kind of on the periphery and, and they sort of um, just sort of facilitate the two main characters journey.
0: Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it is definitely about the journey that uh, both Anna and Ethan go on just in terms of his realization that the world is changing. Anna is growing up and Anna realizing maybe she doesn't want to be the sidekick of an aging PI for the rest of her life. And maybe mm. there is a little bit more out there for her, even if that might mean making mistakes or, or, or moving, moving away. I kind of quite liked the uh, Isaac Presley. He's the only other character that we get to spend any significant amount of time with so we get a really good idea of what his motivations are what's what is and isn't important to him in terms of why he makes certain decisions in the book and while we might not agree or like some of the decisions we he makes we certainly well, do understand why he makes them
1: no i, I, I don't know I, I was fine with his decisions i thought they're all right and I, th- I thought the main character kind of came to terms with them
0: yeah he did he definitely did come to terms with them but yeah. it it did kind of like put him in a slightly sticky
1: Situation. Sure.
0: Yeah. so i think he, he was kind of like ah, yeah indeed i thought we was going one way you decided to, to yep. maybe go, go well, There was also way. like a
1: miscommunication in that and mm-hmm. yeah he tried to do it right
0: yeah, yeah so I, I felt you know he I, I kind of quite liked um his character well not, not like but i kind of he kind of got on board with what he was trying to talk about so we've been chatting for about um 30 minutes about the book is mm. there anything um anything else that we've we you know we've not mentioned that we think we think we should probably uh cover no those are the main
1: themes but i think like it's it's a book which has a story which is quite relevant to a lot of the realizations people are having now
0: yes like, yes it yes. is quite prescient, isn't it
1: yeah not not just race but also just understanding like how much impact down the line like the development of a city can have like what happens when you destroy a neighborhood or don't allow local businesses to for fur, um flourish or you know, what happens when you know someone how, how
0: someone's greed can impact an entire city yeah it's kind of like the, la has got a really rich history of making bad real estate decisions that because you know there's they, they, they used to have like uh, a tram lines and great like train networks in 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 la and then oh yeah you know, for yeah, yeah. ford, ford motor, motor company said well we want to sell more cars let's kind of like get rid of all of that and how the greed of the insatiable appetite of capitalism and prioritizing money and you know gdp above mm-hmm. all else above you know the other things that you can't necessarily put a price on like communities and neighborhoods and things like that
1: and they did it in a way that works too, because a lot of times you I see in, in film or books, they you try to tell these stories, and we, we, as you're telling a narrative, a lot of times you have to put um, an individual character or an individual face to a problem. Yeah. So like you see this a lot in like the sort of like American kind of the, the poor. Not not, not all these movies are poorly done, but the ones who are more poorly done. Yeah. Like it, it'll be a, you know a movie about I don't know segregation in the South, and it'll just be one bad cop. Right, because that's how you tell the narrative, right? The one bad cop is is racism, right? But then it, it gives it also gives like a false narrative. It's it's not a problem of one bad cop; it's a whole societal problem. But as this story, um, the way they wrote this story, okay, they did have you know this one bad greedy developer, but they didn't do it in a way that cheapened our understanding of what's happening. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, because the 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 one bad cop is just a tool of a wider a system he's just he's a symptom of a wider systemic systemic corruption which is it really comes across clearly in this Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. so yeah and and then we see the people on his periphery and yeah we know he's just one developer and there's other other nasty real estate developers too
0: I, i i find myself mentioning the grenfell inquiry in almost every podcast that i find myself doing these days but it's just you mentioned kind of how the development of a city can Detrimentally impact the um, citizens and people that lived there, and I think what happened in in Grenfell is a perfect example of corruption, mm. criminal intent, incompetence, prioritising maybe for wrong things, and yeah. that also really comes across in uh, Destroy All Monsters as well. I really enjoyed this; it's like a firm recommendation from from me. I think uh, Brubaker and the Phillipses have done superb work on this and i I believe the trade paperback is is going to be out sometime in october i'm not too sure when the release date is in in the uk but yeah what what are you any closing thoughts on that john
1: closing thoughts is i've wanted to start reading the other books in the series now this is excellent
0: they're really good uh well i've only read one other book but i really enjoyed uh reading that so let's have a let's have a little bit of a catch-up chat um what have you been um what have you been up to recently john oh i've
1: been up to too much (laughs) um outside of everything going on in my personal life having a son a house i'm renovating uh you know having a crazy dog who you know terrorizes the mailman (laughs) (laughs) um that i had a i had a uh, quite busy summer so um you know, I, I do still take the odd freelance commission outside of my teaching work at, at Canterbury Christ Church. And um, I had a couple commissions that, that came up at the beginning of the summer and um, or, or a couple opportunities for commissions. So, you know, I uh, sent my name out to all of them. And uh, this very strange and horrible thing happened. Everyone said yes. So I got, I got all this work at the summer, which isn't the worst problem to have. But, you know, when you, when when the work piles on, it you start to get overloaded, and yeah. then you start to work less well, and then the work piles up more, and then you get more stressed out, and then, and then you produce less quality things. So yeah, it's been, it's been a busy summer, but I did do some cool projects. Um, I started working with the Electric Medway Festival. It's a festival of electronic arts um, in, in the Medway area. So that's an area in Kent in the southeast of England for you know, anyone outside of the UK who's listening. So I did uh, an an animation about the history of Rochester and Chatham, uh, which is just really simple drawings. And then we projected it um, on a wall and people um, going to a film screening on the way in and out would sort of see this ambient history of of Rochester projected in an animation. So that was a bit of fun.
0: And uh, you're kind of, you're teaching at uh, Canterbury Christchurch University. How's how's that going in terms of teaching? tdr is it you're teaching it to game design students how are they finding finding all that stuff
1: it's great. So it's, um, it's basically, it was my dream job and I'm, I'm doing it now. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm going into my second year of teaching there. Um, so now I get to go back through all my old lesson plans and revise things, throw out what didn't work, you know, tighten up things that did. It's quite cool. The, the games design major we have there is, it's a generalist games design major. Um, so it's not just video games. It's also board games, card games, <gasps> experimental arcade stuff. We really try to get our students to think very creatively about what is play and make something new. And students come in from a lot of different backgrounds. So I'm teaching art to not only students who want to work on the art side of games, but also ones who might be coming from the programming side or the narrative side or design side. So what, what I get to do then is work a lot on fundamentals. And I've got this interesting challenge um, that I'm often faced with is how do I make someone who is hardworking and engaged, but not necessarily an artist, good, good at art? It, it's great. It really makes me break down the fundamentals. And last year, I was I was really happy, got a couple students who weren't artists who ended up producing some of the best art in their class.
0: That's really the the game design uh, program there sounds really really interesting kind of i know uh, especially board games at the moment are quite mm-hmm. massive mm-hmm. and designing good board game art is really important to how successful a a board game so is i've i've recently started listening to a board game podcast i don't play many board games myself but i do enjoy listening to people who are, in, are passionate about their hobbies talk mm-hmm. about them so uh it's called the, the dice breaker Bo- podcast oh, and they wow. quite often mentioned how important good art yeah. is in ter- in 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 terms of like, getting you involved in in the game and how kind of bad art can kind of make a game that's got really good fundamental game mechanics a little bit unpleasant to interact okay. with so it's it's quite good that you're teaching teaching uh that, that they're kind of teaching board game and kind of not just video game mechanics on the course. And having taught a little bit myself, you know, martial arts kind of teaching does make you a better practitioner sometimes because you have to really think carefully about all right, how, okay, I'm doing this thing, but why am I doing it? And how am I doing it? And how can I communicate that to mm, someone mm. who doesn't understand any of that yeah, stuff? Yeah,
1: Oh yeah. That's, I think that's true with everything. Um Yeah. When I started coaching kickboxing, yeah, that made me a better kickboxer for sure.
0: Are you Yeah, outside of the, the, the work that you've done on the, the festival? Have you got, I know you've got so much on at the moment. You kind of. The amount <laughs> of times my
1: wife said to me, I think you need to settle down a little bit before
0: you burn yeah, out. And yeah, she's think, right. She's yeah. 100%. All right. <laughs> you know, John's kind of, I don't know if you're halfway through or just partway through renovating your house. And it seems to me that you're doing a lot of the work yourself, yep, yep. as well as kind of your, 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 your teaching work and, and raising a family. I've interviewed a, a couple of freelancers recently, and one of the questions I've, I've been asked them is kind of, how do they balance everything? So how, how are you balancing Everything I kind of don't. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> I mean, I've slowly gotten
1: a little bit better at it. But I mean, one of the one of the main things I do is try to schedule things. So Sunday is a family day, uh, always, and then try to set a nine to five work ethic, which I'm not great at. It's also helpful yeah. that my son sleeps well and is quite young. He's he's a year old, so he goes down to bed at seven, um, and then he's out till six. So that means I get a couple hours in the evening to work if I need to.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the comic books creators I've spoken to recently. Uh, Well, a few of them said, you know, when you were, I know you've got like a nine to five job already, but you know, if you're creating art as a freelancer, kind of setting those office Mm -hmm. hours is quite important. And you just, you know, you know, time comes, you know, six o'clock. Right, I'm I'm done working for today because you do need that time for to let ideas percolate. Yeah, and and you need to
1: you need to rest well, and that's something which I try to communicate to my students, and I try to practice a lot. Is um, If you need to rest, put down your computer or whatever it is and step away, like properly step away and enjoy yourself. Don't kind of half-ass it, I'm a dick about on my phone for five minutes and look at Facebook because that just builds anxiety and it doesn't refresh you at all.
0: Yeah, I, I had a really interesting chat with a a freelance graphic designer. And one of the things he does is he still works kind of like nine to five. But what he'll do is he'll take he's, he basically only works on his iPad. Now, well, most of the time he works on his iPad tablet device and he'll take his tablet device, go out to the park or a coffee okay. shop and he'll do his work there. And most of the other artists that I've spoken to find that idea like really Tricky to deal with because they do need their, they need their tools, they need their tech setup okay. uh, exactly. and everything else, and uh, and all, all of that stuff. So you, um, uh, you meant well in your in in my introduction to you, you kind of, uh, I, I read out that you were doing. A youth outreach work with the Kent and Medway Collaborative yes. Outreach Program. Do you want to talk a little, a little bit yeah, about Yeah, okay. That? So
1: there's uh, something called the National Collaborative Outreach Program in the UK. And what they do is um, they look at students who are have low rep, or they look at populations which have low representation in higher education. So they look at what sort of demographics that is, what areas they come from, and they identify basically postcodes uh, or If you're not from the UK, that will be the same as the zip code, you know, uh, locations in the UK, which have a low proportion of students that are going on to um, university. And what it comes down to is it's mainly working class youth and especially from very poor rural areas. Um, And this uh, CAMCOP is um, the Kent and Medway Collaborative Outreach Program. So there's a number of, um, uh, under the national program, there's different regional bodies uh, that take care of it. So I, I work with, with this regional body of my locality, CAMCOP. And um, basically what we do is we we do these workshops. We, we go to schools, community centers, churches, festivals, whoever will have us. And we try to do things to, to get the young people from that area to go to university. Um, so that could be giving them some skills or some tools. But, you know, a lot of times it's just about um, breaking down barriers and building confidence and self respect in these um Were you doing
0: that? So yeah, you, were you doing that during kind of lockdown? How were you running the, the workshops and stuff like that? Was it mostly remote? Yeah, So yeah, so, yeah, that, so the, yeah. the team I work
1: with, I'm, I'm lucky. They're really good with remote stuff. Um, I heard a lot of different teaching, university teaching, outreach teams broke down across the country during lockdown. But the 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 teams that I worked with with Camcop were were shit hot. Basically, they they had their their act together. Um, so we would do a lot of remote video sessions, video calls. Uh, so I would do things like I would give a an online video demonstration in the morning and I'd come back after lunch and say to the students, cool, show me what you did in the past couple hours. And they'd have made different animations and things. Um, so we found like Animation programs they could use on their phones to create stop motion animation with stuff around their house. A lot of times we'd have to mail them material packs before the sessions would start. And it, it is quite difficult, too, because you're dealing with kids in really like extreme poverty that a lot of people don't realize exists in the first world. So a lot of times entire families are sharing a mobile phone. And that's how the kids are doing their schoolwork. Uh, that's how the parents are doing whatever online things they need to do, taxes and whatever else. Um, that, that was something we found was a huge problem during lockdown is is access to the digital world for for people in, in these communities. Um, I mean, imagine that the whole family shares one smartphone. How are you going to get to all your online classes if you've got two or three kids
0: in different years? what sort of age groups were you working with? So I tend um, to work with programs? like 12
1: to, to 17, sometimes a little bit older, sometimes up to early twenties.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really good stuff, John. I know you kind of, you're quite mm. public minded and it's great that you're, you're working on those projects. So kind of outside of your, your work <laughs> and rebuilding a house and, uh, setting the world's right. Are you working on any interesting, uh, uh, creative projects just, to, yeah, just yeah, yeah. So
1: before my son was born, um, uh, I was thinking that I wanted to do a, a couple comics that will be be projects which are a bit more mine, and I, I feel like I've got you know good enough understanding of the industry and my skill and and the rest of it where I can do do my own project and and make it you know something which is good enough to send to publishers and sell and and so on. Normally, you know, I'd collaborate with people like yourself. We did a comic book together. Yeah. Um, so I've got two comics I want to work on, um, and and before my son was born, what I did is I just sat down for a day and I just wrote. Um, everything that was in my head um, about those comics. And it's, you know, big sloppy couple Word documents with like half figured out character description settings, the plots mostly figured out and so on. And then I I saved them and locked them away and said, I'll get to it when I get to it. And uh, now after the summer of craziness, I'm finally getting a little bit of time to get to it. And yeah, I'm starting to do some character sketches for those comics.
0: Any 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 details that you can? Leak oh, uh, out the first, second one. The second one I'll give kind you kind no
1: details de- on because I think it's a, a quite unique idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I keep that one yeah. to myself. Yeah. But no, the first one is um, it's gonna. Uh, the working title right now is the Fighter, and uh, oh, I should have had the the sheet ready. I had a nice little long line written about it, but basically it's um, a a fighter challenges uh, to be a regional champion of of kickboxing. But first he has to defeat the physical manifestation of his fear. Uh, So as the story plays out, it's going to take place entirely in the ring uh, or almost entirely in the ring. I think there might be a little, a couple scenes as he's warming up in the locker room or something. I think I'm going to tell it entirely through Thought Bubble. I'm not sure yet. It's going to be all about his internal struggle and his okay. fight and his dealing with his fears yeah. and how he wins. And, uh, the, the ghost of his fear is going to make an appearance in the ring. He's going to have to fight the ghost of his fear too.
0: Okay. That sounds, that sounds great. And I'm not going to ask you when that going to be well, uh, uh, who knows? ready to read. Who knows, uh, with, uh, when you did get around to doing it, are you going to be taking time off of work to, to write those or is it's, be a project that you're going to have to kind of work on the weekends because that's a really mm. interesting question I've when I've put that to people people have said well actually I've had I've you know I'm a freelance uh, graphic designer and I've just saved up money for like a month where I can just spend a month working Mm. um on this because I can't you know because I'm doing a creative job job already. I just find if I try and do my own creative work, everything okay. kind of sucks. Um so
1: I think I'll be doing a little bit here and there for a while as I sort of get my head around it and get my head around my life. <laughs> um and then uh there there will be definite moments where I take like a solid week to do something. What's quite nice yeah. about being an academic is we get great amounts of holiday. So I get two months a year off. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's plenty of time um, that I can fit into to really make that happen.
0: Um, mentioning your academic work, are you doing any research? No,
1: not, well, a little bit. Or... Um, so one thing that's quite cool is um, all of my team that I work with are all games designers and love making cool, weird, creative stuff. So we, we do practical research. So we make crazy games and then try to get people to play them and see what happens. Uh, so we're, oh, we're doing okay. uh, one which is um, a collaboration with the literature department um, so we're building a life-size board game that we're going to install in a church um, in in Kent, in um, near Canterbury, and uh, it's called um, Save Kent from Dracula. So it's like weaving gothic literature, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> gothic <laughs> literature, in. and um, the, the board game's life-size. You've got to carry objects around the game and defeat Dracula, and there's a traitor within your group, and. Uh, stuff like that. We're building another uh, game. It's going to be an arcade cabinet for four players. I think it's called the Nautilus is is the working title. And um, you're you're Captain Ahab from um, uh, Moby Dick. And you've stolen the submarine from 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And you're trying to chase Moby Dick down with it. And uh, so it's for four players. So each player controls a certain part of the ship and can see their controls. Um, So, like, for example, one controls the gun but then um, that they're trying to kill Moby Dick with, but then another player can see where you're steering and can see where Moby Dick is, uh, but can't see the gun. So you got to shout and communicate to each other. Um, we're building it with a whole steampunk aesthetic. Um, we're going to mail that at the Canterbury Festival.
0: Uh, oh, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, John, can you please let people know where they can find you on uh, the internet, social media? Yeah, sure. So best
1: places stuff. to find me it would probably be um, Instagram. You can see uh, some of the artwork I'm posting up. So that's at John Schwo, um, at J-O-N-S-C-H-W-O, or my website is www.johnschwachert.com. And if you think you're started, thinking about studying game design, um, you know, Canterbury is a is a great place to do it.
0: And thank you very much, John. So uh, just leaves me to say thank you guys for all the support that you've been uh, giving us. I've done a, an open call out for Comic Books creators to kind of get in touch with me if they want their comic books re- reviewed i've had a massive response to that so i'm just going through the replies for that at the moment please uh bear with me and be patient please support the podcast by uh subscribing and leaving a rating and review wherever you are listening to this on and yeah so hopefully we're kind of going to start getting back into the swing of things with with reviews and that's it guys thank you so much and bye say bye john all right see y'all later bye